Picture this, a toddler, say 20 months old, hypothetically let's call him Matthew, throws the fit of all fits, pulls mom's hair with Hulk-like strength, screams, no, wails, all because I, I, I mean mom, told him that we needed to leave the apartment to go to music class. This tantrum lasted 15 painstaking minutes, hypothetically of course. Mom thinks she birthed Jekyll and Hyde, but Dr. Tova Klein believes this outburst is simply about the fear of leaving a safe space. They don't call her the toddler whisperer for nothing. Dr. Tova Klein is a child development psychologist and the head of the Barnard College Toddler Center. She's also the author of How Toddlers Thrive. She is one of the most respected, most sought after voices on toddlerdom. A woman, a researcher, a mom of three, who calls the toddler years a magical moment in time. And now she's helping us unlock the wild, whimsical, sometimes wily toddler brain. We get into it all on All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo. You've probably heard people say this before, but you know how you make an appointment for a sleep therapist or sleep counselor? Yeah, you can have your... Sorry, I'm going to mute my... No, I'm just going to mute my phone. Yeah. So do you know how you um, have an appointment for like a sleep consultant? And that's the night that your kid sleeps through the night? This is the opposite of today. Oh, I had such a toddler hell moment this morning that I thought to myself, it is so perfect ah, that I'm seeing Dr. Yeah, Klein today. Here I am. <laughs> and it got to the point where I was texting my husband and he now started a hashtag in our chat, hashtag AskTova. Oh, funny. <laughs> and I said, Hilarious. okay, I will ask her about it. Um, but before we get into all of my issues, yeah. um, if you can, just tell people a little bit about yourself, about your role here at Barnard and the Toddler Center. Okay, yeah. So I am, I always say, I'm trained as a clinical and developmental psychologist, but my life work and passion and kind of what I do has always been around young children and parents. And I've been at Barnard since 1995, I reluctantly admit, Mm -hmm. um, almost 25 years. And um, I'm a professor in the psychology department here. And since 1972, what's been a part of the psychology department is the Barnard Toddler Center. And this is a center that is here for our undergraduates, so Barnard and Columbia students to learn about this incredible stage of life, for faculty to do research, and to have a really well developmentally grounded program for the community so Barnard can reach beyond its walls. So I get to teach undergraduates, observe toddlers every single day, and work with parents and toddlers as well. So it's it's sort of like part school part research lab. Exactly, exactly. It's We call it, a, a, it's a true living laboratory. You can come and watch toddlers through a one-way observation room. It's not just a mirror, it's the entire room. The children are in the classroom. Um, or we have researchers, I collaborate with somebody at Columbia on research. We have other researchers come in and do research. And then we have undergraduates who actually work directly with the toddlers and take a psychology course that I teach on early development. So they're getting the theory and research and what we know in the science of early development and they're seeing it unfold for the entire year with 13 individual children. Are they all neurotypical or are they neurodiverse? They're whoever comes, right? So we don't don't interview or screen. We have a very lengthy application with lots of developmental questions um, and we encourage parents to tell us if they have concerns because if you think about it's a twos program so we have children who are one and a half to just over three and when they're applying they're babies really right they're like one one and a half Um, so if parents have concern or if they're already getting 
early intervention services, we want to know because we can incorporate incorporate children into our groups. And your students that are here observing, or your researchers, mm -hmm. what age range are they? I mean, are they at a point where they have already had their own children, a lot of them, or are they, you know, your 19, 20, 21, 22 yeah, year so olds? Yeah, so Barnard is a women's college. It's all undergraduate. All of our departments are undergraduate departments. And so all of our students are undergraduates. So they're between, you know, typically 18 and 22. And we also have Columbia students. Barnard and Columbia are separate but affiliated. So mm -hmm. Sister students, schools, yeah, yeah. <laughs> students cross-register. So I have Columbia students as well. So sometimes I have students who are Columbia students, undergrads again, but they might have come to school later. Maybe they're here on the GI Bill and they may be parents themselves. We've had that sometimes. But for the most part, our students are younger, our researchers are faculty. Okay, and I ask that simply because I, my um, opinion or experience with toddlers was as the result of being an aunt mm -hmm. or the friend of. Right. And now that I have my own, it's a totally different yeah. ball game. And so observing without having that, um, that institutional knowledge right. from having actually birthed their baby and watching them grow, yeah. I think is very different than being very in different. the home with a kid. So I'm, I'm sort of intrigued to hear how their experiences yeah. would carry over. Well, the truth is for any of us in any field, I think our views of life change once we become parents. Yeah. Right. So I remember many years ago interviewing a journalist here. We did like a, you know, like a public talk on work family. And she'd been a parent here. She was, you know, well-known TV journalist. And one of the questions I asked her was, did anything change in your work after you became a parent? And she was like, how could it have not? Yeah. My whole perspective on life changed. I think that's true across fields. Your priorities shift. The way you see the world shifts. Your exhaustion level <laughs> shifts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that you changes. Know, it's such a shift in who we are as people that it has to impact who you are. And... Let's face it, researchers, faculty, academic people, the questions we ask, the types of things that interest us change over time. So my interest, for example, my interest has always been in young children and the role of parents. That was clear to me from a young age. Wow, that primary caregiver, mother or father, has a huge impact on the child, and I wanted to know more about that. That's what got me to graduate school. But once I became a parent, the field of work and family life took on new meaning to me and I started doing research in that area. I, if I had done research before in that area, I'm not sure it could have had much meaning. Yeah. So, um, but I still do, and I continue to do work on early development, development of, you know, uh, how children process emotions, um, how emotions affect memory, the role of parents in children's development and learning. All of that is still there, but there's other pieces as well and I think my view of children just gets richer and richer and richer. I heard you say that you consider the toddlerdom space a magical space, mm -hmm. a special space. Um, there are days where I think it's hell, uh -huh. and there are days where I think this is the most glorious thing. Yeah. But to call it magical, I when I read that, I thought, oh, wow. It's, <laughs> it, it, crazy. Is a, it is a certain <laughs> kind of magic, yeah. for sure. But what is it about this very early time in their life? So we're talking, what, like a, maybe a year and a half to five years or mm -hmm. so? Uh, Dr. Karp would tell you that it starts at seven months. That's right. what he told me. And I said, I'm not, no. re I'm not ready for that, doctor. Yeah. So no, we're, yeah. we're going to have to hit the pause yeah. button on that because yeah. mom is not there yet. Yeah. But let's say like a year and a half, yeah. about five years. Why is it so special to you? 
So here's the thing about the toddler years. You know, traditionally people think toddler, they go two-year-olds, and that's it. Because two-year-olds are a really unique period of time, like that one and a half to three. We'll talk about it in a moment. When I wrote my book, How Toddlers Thrive, the publishers were like, what ages do you want this to cover? And I said two to eight, and they said, there's no way. Like, we can't sell that book. But I said, okay, but it has to go up to five. And so sometimes when I'm giving talks, wherever, you know, it could be in New York City, it could be anywhere, the people who invite me will say, why is this up to age five? Five-year-olds aren't toddlers. And interestingly, I, I think to myself, maybe they don't work with children, or maybe they're not parents. Yeah. And when I start to explain, well, actually, yes, it is true that as children move from two to three to four to five, they start to get a little bit more rational, a little bit more reasonable. They're always going back to their, uh, their emotional base and their emotional meltdowns are the toddler piece of them. And there's a big shift in brain sort of development um, after five, you know, anybody so that's like a breaking point of some kind? Or? It, it's, I would say it's a little bit of a watershed, a little bit. Okay. Doesn't mean that children aren't going to still be challenging in ways, but they're sort of con their systems are calming down a bit. They're coming into more reasonableness. <laughs> Uh, more more reasonableness, right. not total reasonableness. <laughs> uh, more grasp of language. People say, "But my child's been verbal since you know they were two years old." Yeah, but they're grasping language. They're grasping the complexity by ideas more. It's a slow path. The, but what happens at that one and a half to two, which is really where where does toddlerhood start? Some people would argue as soon as the children get up on their feet, and you could say that. So as soon as they get up and start to move away from us, which for most children is around a year, perfectly normal, a little before we a year until 18 that, months. But. Yeah. Um, but it's when they start to get a sense of self. And that sense of self comes very slowly. And that's the challenge of two-year-olds. They're trying to figure out who they are separate from mommy or daddy, or if it's a grandparent, who's ever raising them, their main person. So mommy or daddy. Um, and they're like, hey, I've got ideas. Infants don't feel like, hey, I have ideas. They're like, I, I want to be comforted. I want, I want to, to share this. joy with you. I want to be fed, right? Toddlers are really about that. I want to share joy with you. I want to be comforted. But hey, I've got ideas. And my ideas might be different than your ideas. And in my case, every idea is different than your ideas. <laughs> exactly. And... <laughs> My ideas are the only ones that matter right now because I only, I'm only learning about me first, right? You don't learn about others till later, which is part of what I think drives parents crazy. Yes. Like, no, they're supposed to be me focused until they understand who me is. So the world is very much about testing out themselves, getting to know themselves. But at the same time, they're experiencing all these new emotions. So the joy is high, mm -hmm. right? When they're joyful, however they express it, a mild-mannered child or a very big expressive child, they're really expressing joy. But when they're upset, they're really upset. And that's partly because the emotional part of those little brains is on fire at this point. But the ability to handle emotions is almost absent. You mentioned something in your book that I, I told you, both my husband and I read the book. I downloaded it first, and I started reading it, and I said, you've got you to clue in. He tore through it to the point where he now taught me on Audible how to um, bookmark and clip. <laughs> he shares them with that. me. We write notes in it. Um, and one of the first things that both of us noticed was that rage, mm -hmm. that those super highs and then that super explosion right. of anger. And sometimes we feel like 
the day is sort of like breaking open a pinata. You're going to whack and hit, and whatever falls Mm -hmm. out is what you're going to get. And some days it's pure joy all the time. It's laughter. It's excitement. And some days it's like cage the beast. Right. So one of the things that you mentioned in your book that we see time and again, and it's really in the last couple of months that we've really noticed it, is when our son, who's 20 months, very expressive, um, super energetic, really independent. This is a little kid who's sort of a love of life seems to not be able to be contained, which, right. we, which we love. Right. But when he gets mad, he clenches yeah. his fist and he shakes them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, ooh. And right. I thought, okay, is this it? Is this, yeah. like a, is it sort of like a burst and we're done? Yeah. And it, we sense that it will either It's going to get more. It's going to get more before it gets last. And you can kind of almost, if a parent is listening to this that has the same situation, it, it, you can see it bubbling. Yeah. You, can see, you can see the emotions coming to the surface. And we thought, our kid is rage-filled. Yeah. But then... Toddler in, rage. Though. Toddler That's rage, the difference. Right. Okay, it's so it is rage. a difference, right? There are often times where I look at him in that moment and I think, dear God, don't, don't, don't carry that into adulthood. Yeah. How do I stop this now so that it doesn't manifest so later? You've just hit on, I think, one of the biggest problems for parents of raising toddlers, it, which is just this. Uh-oh, you're doing this now or you're going to do this your whole life. Yes. And the answer is they don't have to. If you but understand, they can. yeah, they could. But if you understand that this is a unique age, and so language is not good, even if you have a very verbal child, it's not good language yet. Right. It's hard to imagine feeling emotions that you've never ever felt, right? Except maybe if you're a parent, you. If you remember those moments, maybe it was at birth, maybe it was later, that you had this feeling of joy beyond anything you ever felt. You know, your child gets up on those two feet and walks for the first time, and your child looks at you with this glee in their eyes, and you're matching it. It's a feeling we don't really have usually before. But for the most part, the toddler has never really felt anger because infants don't have a sense of themselves as separate. Mm -hmm. You get angry when there's a limit on you. Either mommy or daddy has set a very reasonable limit like you can't cross the street without holding my hand or we're not having five cookies for breakfast um, or you're limited because you can't do something. I can't reach it. I can't. I have this idea that I just can't carry out or I can't communicate. So they start feeling frustration, anger, um, disappointment in big, big ways, but they don't know what it is. Mm. So it's part of their little brain is firing these incredibly intense emotions. Like I always think of it as like a flood of emotion. But the part of their brain that is going to say, hey, I'm upset. I need to understand that. Cool down. Whatever you do as an adult to say, I'm not going to shove the person in front of me at the checkout line, even though they're taking too long. You talk yourself down, right? Or I've got to be kinder to my spouse who I'm mad at. You talk yourself down. They don't have any of those abilities to control any of it. And that's what you're getting at this age. So it's toddler rage. I would say it's, it's lowercase, maybe it's capital T, <laughs> lowercase a for anger. Yeah. It's toddler anger or it's child anger. But we live in a world that's filled with anger and rage. And yeah. so it makes people even that much more nervous. You have to be able to feel feelings in order to, A, know what they are, B, probably most importantly, learn to manage them. To process it. Totally, to process it. But in the meantime, guess who does the managing for you? Your parents mm-hmm. or your caregivers are the ones who label it. Yeah, you try to. <laughs> but you do manage it because even if it's a 
big physical tantrum, you move them to safety. Mm -hmm. You say you're upset, you're angry, I'm going to make sure you're, you're safe, and you move them off the concrete that they're banging their head on. You move them to the grass or right. whatever it is you do. But you also label it for him. Oh, you're so mad. You know, when you see those little fists go up and he's shaking because he doesn't know what that feeling is. You say, so oh, you, you're so, so mad. You should say, you are so, you're mad. so mad. I see that you're mad. Yeah. I know you wanted to go outside. What does that do for him, though, or her? It says at some point, and the parents always say, I don't think she understands yet. Maybe not, to, I say, maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not in three weeks. But one day, they've heard it enough. Oh, this is anger. It gives them some understanding. Very preliminary. Doesn't mean the next time they get mad, they're going to say, oh, listen, mm -hmm. I won't throw a tantrum. Mom, I'm, I'm going to go I'm meditate. Mad. I get it. Right. right. But it, language helps you take control of something. And it also says to your child, I can accept that feeling that you have. Most of us, many of us, many of the people listening to this grew up, particularly women, I have to say, particularly girls, but for many people, grew up with a message of don't be angry or you're not allowed to have that or something's wrong with you if you're feeling that way. Right. But definitely don't show it. If you can accept those feelings in a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, then you grow up saying, look, there are times that I'm going to be mad and that's, hey, that's okay. But most importantly, mommy or daddy will be okay with it and they'll still love me. Do you recommend when the child has calmed down to then say to them, you are now happy? or you are calm, should you follow it up with the recognition of another emotion or state? It's a good question. I would say what you always want to follow it up with is something related, which is you were to reiterate for them, well, you were so upset, you were so angry, you know, I still love you, even when you're that upset. Because for the child, it's very scary to feel that way. I noticed that my son locks up. Mm -hmm. So I said to you, I today was a day yeah. and for whatever reason I am the one that gets the brunt of it. It usually is the mom. Why? It's usually We do all the work. It's usually the main us. parent. Um not always the mom, but I more often than not the mom. It's the person they trust emotionally the deepest that they feel like I can show you my truest self and you're not going to abandon me. All of this gives them a base of, are you going to be okay even if I'm this upset? Not that they're thinking that literally at the time, but that's the messaging over time. Oh, you still love me even though I was that upset. It has to come from both mommy and daddy if there's two mm -hmm. parents. Right. Um, or if it's two daddies or two mommies. It doesn't matter. Whoever those main caregivers are. And the parents have a different role than anybody else than grandparents, than nannies loving nannies, important people. But the person that the child trusts the most is, is their main parent or parents. And that's where you show your true colors. I'm up, I'm down, I need you, I don't need you, and I need you to understand that you've got to be my rock no matter what I give you. Well, today he gave it. Yeah. A lot. So we have had this thing that has been going on. It's a recent development, but it's exciting nonetheless, um, where Matthew, my 20-month-old, will pull my hair. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking a little bit. Mm -hmm. it, fistfuls, mm -hmm. yanking, to the point where I, this happened. We were, and if anybody was by the waterfront in Tribeca, <laughs> and happened to see a mom bent over with a toddler wrapped around her head, that was me. And thank you for offering to help, because two yeah. people did, although I couldn't see them because I was buried. 
he he was grabbing my hair and yanking it so hard. Actually, I thought I was going to cry because it hurt. I felt like he was really pulling and I kept saying, Matthew, release, release, release. Matthew, stop. Matthew, calm down. Matthew. And I was thinking. Because he was upset? He was upset because I was telling him that we needed to go to music class. And we had to leave the boats that we had spent 20 minutes watching. And we wanted to go to music class. And I said, we can see taxis. You love taxis. We can see trucks. You love trucks. Doggies, buses, babies. I went through the whole list. And he didn't want to go. So I was trying to move him in that direction. So I picked him up mm-hmm. and hands in the hair and yanking. And I mean, it. this was akin to a bar fight. Mm-hmm. And I was losing big right. time. And I kept, I kept saying, can I tickle him? How do I get him to unleash? And he's screaming with my hair in his hands. And by the time I finally pried us apart mm-hmm. I look down and in his hand yeah, are exactly. fistfuls of hair yeah. I mean we're talking 20-30 strands and I thought oh my gosh and he said he's yelling at me going no mama no no mama and I said Matthew you really hurt me you really hurt mama you made me very sad so I put him in the chair and he's squealing and yeah. I'm thinking what do I do so he's scared he's now he's scared. scared and yeah. I'm yelling trying not to but I've gotten to the point where I'm yelling he's crying my hair is on the floor mm-hmm. it looks like who did it and ran <laughs> and I said you have, please say you're sorry for hurting mommy sorry mama I said do you know what you did and he said hair I said okay you understand I guess no but he does it he has no, no. idea so, so what's that so about I'm gonna tell you the opposite and it's gonna sound so counterintuitive he doesn't know that you're another person he doesn't even get that if it doesn't hurt him, he doesn't know that that hurts you. And you don't teach it by lecturing him. Like you were very being very rational. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little he too rational. He is only focused on himself. That's impulse. So children at this age are very impulsive. Again, it's brain activity, right? Lots of quick thoughts, quick impulses, no ability to stop them. Okay, so it's like a rapid fire. It's rapid fire, right? Um, the brain is basically, think of the brain as being on fire at these ages. That's the magic of it. When it's good, it's pure curiosity, exploration, putting things together. You know, there's boats, there's this, there's that. That's all, it's all ways to get around. It's very exciting, right? And there's excitement in it. That's the magic of this age. The flip side is when emotions come, there's a lot of impulse. Now, sometimes impulse is out of joy. You know, like, yeah, I watch this all the time, like, Child has something in their hand, and they look at it, and I say to somebody, oh, they're going to throw that across the room. They go, why would you say that? It goes across the room. Yeah. That shouldn't surprise anybody, yeah. but it surprises everyone. <laughs> yeah. Right? You're going to punish them for it? No. no. You say, here, throw it in here. You really want to throw? Here's a place to throw. I'll give you a bucket. Redirect. Yeah, but you're, but you're moving with impulse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll give you a place to throw. When you say to your child in particular, you've hurt me, it's terrifying to them. He needs you more than anything in the world. And the idea that he could hurt you would be terrifying. What you want to do is pull your hair back. So (laughs) when he's attached to me, how... But I wouldn't honestly, if I had a child, and I've seen this, this is not uncommon, right? I've had Oh, that's good. Because I'm like, am I raising a serial killer? (laughs) Is this the start of it? I told people, look, if they're pulling your hair, either have short hair or pull it back. Like, don't have that thing that they do. So we have children at my center. No one will want to send their child to center like this. This happens <laughs> at any twos program who are scratchers, right? They, they go and they scratch other children, right? Why? They get a rise out of them. They want the toy that they have. They realize that the adults overreact. I said, could you just keep her nails short? We'll get through this. We'll give her something to scratch, but keep her nails short. That's an easy one. Yeah. Biting's harder. 
right? Because everybody and has a mouth. he bites only me and dad. Usually. Yeah. But it's not to the extent of the hair pulling. So, okay, so just get my hair back. So then once I put you my hair back. You take it out of the way. But when you're home, I would make sure you have a baby doll that has hair on it. And you say to him, when you want to pull hair, you can pull, pull, pull. And when he's mad, I would give him that baby doll and say, pull this hair, pull this hair, pull this hair. Because that's his impulse. Everybody has a different impulse. Some kids are biters. Some kids are throw their But showing ahead. him a doll with hair and having him pull that hair, will he gives then... him a place to do... No, it gives him a place to do it. Everybody thinks... That he's going to go to the community center or whatever and then pull another little girl's it hair. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I'll give you the example. Throwing is the prime example. Many people listening to this will say, oh, yeah, I have a child who throws. It's very impulsive. It's very exciting, right? They'll throw just about it. They'll throw their food. They'll throw... Um, but through food throwing is different. I always interpret that as, oh, you're done. Thank you for letting me know. We don't throw food in the house. <laughs> you're all finished. And that, that takes care of food throwing because then they're like, oh, I don't think I really want to throw yeah. my food. Right. We have to be done. Um, but they'll be throwing, say, toys, something else. And it's just, it's not safe to be throwing toys willy-nilly. And children do feel safer when there's some boundaries. So you take out like a little waste paper basket. When my children were young, I had them all over the house. Those, you know, like those bathroom yeah. waste paper. You take it and say, oh, you want to throw? Throw it in here. Throw it in here. And you pick up something soft like a stuffed animal. And you say, throw it in here, throw it in here. We do it at my center all the time. Throwing is the most common toddler behavior. The teachers give them a bucket. We have them all over. They, oh, you need to throw, throw in here. And they do it a little bit and then they're done. What it does is it channels the impulse. And then they get bored of it, and they just move on to something they else? They learn to handle the impulse. They learn to handle the they impulse. They learn to handle the impulse. So when Matthew You have to is... remember it's an immature brain. And I right. think as a parent, as soon as children are up on their feet, but as soon as they get language, we think that's it. They're like us. And they're really, really, really not. It's tough to remember because he... Everything you say to him, it seems he understands. Now, he doesn't communicate to the same way that he right. accepts the language, right? But... It's insane because I think to myself, everything I ask you to do, pick up your clothes. See, we try to do a lot of two-step stuff. Mm -hmm. Matthew, please take your clothes and put them in the hamper. Mm -hmm. So he goes here and he goes there. Please take your dish and bring it into the kitchen. Please clean up your toys. Please brush your teeth and then we're going to bed. So he's very good at steps and I think he gets it. But You just wait until he's two. He's not even two yet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not even there yeah. yet. But then, like I said, we have these outbursts where I think, what are we doing? We, you're a Neanderthal. <laughs> yeah, and also you're expecting him to be like you. And when yeah. we do that, I think, first of all, we're misled as the adults or as the parents, and then we're disappointed. Like, why aren't you listening? Or why do you have to tantrum? We do this every night. Well, maybe on this night, you're two and a half or three old, a different idea. Yeah, because that's another impulse. I just had another idea, and I wasn't going to go to bed that way tonight. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow might be another day, or five minutes from now might be another, feel like another day. Um, but it's the idea that they're so unlike us that we have to appreciate that, mm -hmm. and that they don't really understand um, and when, the reason I said just wait till he's closer to two or over two, they do get more of a sense of self. And that's when their ideas really come in. Okay. And they, he starts to say, well, I don't think I want to throw that in the hamper. And if you keep coming at him with, we, Matthew, I told you that's what we do all the time, as opposed to like, oh, you're not going to throw that up. I guess I'll have to throw it up here. Let me throw it high, low. Mommy will toss it in. And you keep it light and you keep it not the worst thing in the world. Eventually, he gets on your program. 
Okay. But maybe not tonight and maybe not tomorrow Maybe night. six months down the road. Yeah, but if you throw those clothes in the hamper and make it a fun game enough times, eventually they do it. Why? Because that's what you do. Now's a perfect time for a bathroom break. All Good in the Motherhood, coming right back right after this. You say in the book, don't leave him. Don't, don't never leave the child. Yeah. Um, when they're tantruming. When they're tantruming. Because my impulse is to with, put myself within, outside of a, mm-hmm. a, the distance of sort of the, that close proximity, remove myself enough that I can collect myself, but keep an eye on him. Right. But I realized, and I recognize this when I was listening to your book, he, the second that I leave him, he screams, no, mama, no, mama, no, mama, mama, no. Right. And he comes back to me, clings on, melts down, right. runs away, and then we do this little strange dance. And today, I thought, I'm out in public. I'm not obviously going right. to leave you or go anywhere. Right. So my idea was to rationalize. I shouldn't rationalize. I should have, should I have said to him, you're angry, yeah. you're upset. Should yeah. I have done the, Dr. Harvey Karp calls it toddler ease, but other people have different ways of categorizing it. Do you try to talk to them as if you here's, are them? Yeah, here, here's what the science tells us, honestly. The brain is firing these emotions that they don't understand. And they have no way in that moment to control them, none. And that, I think, is hard for adults to understand. They're not being bad. They're not out to get you. I promise you. They're not trying to ruin anything. They're not trying to ruin anything. They're completely absorbed in the most intense hard emotion, which is anger. It's hard for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can't get out of it. They can't swim out of it. And so what the science shows us over and over, attachment research, all kinds of different emotion regulation studies is that the adult has to kind of grab that emotion and bring it down. And you can do it very sincerely by saying, you're angry, you're upset, I'm gonna help you, I'm right here. Now, that takes on a different role for every child. For some of them, they don't wanna be held, they don't wanna be touched, you just have to stay close. Other children really need to be picked up and held and held tightly because that kind of physical contact calms them down. And I'll have parents say, well, I'm so mad at that point, I don't want to pick them up. But then you end up in a battle. Yeah, right? a big and, one too. And somebody has to say, look, I'm the adult. This is a really hysterical child. I have to be the adult. So if you have the kind of child who, I had one who had to be held. I had one who you couldn't get anywhere near. But same thing, if I would even inch towards the door, he would go crazy. Even as he was screaming, get away. I hate you, you know, like at four and five, but I knew that I couldn't because then he would be the feel abandoned. Titans, well, right. it's abandonment. It really, they need you desperately. They're scared, that anger is scary. And so they really need you to regulate them. So for some of them, that is labeling it and saying, you're okay, you can be angry. It's giving them something to do. You can stomp your feet, you can hit this pillow. Now. Lots of children won't do it. They'll look at you like you're crazy. Sometimes even the act of saying it pulls them out of it. Yeah, right? It snaps Uh, them too. We give them, we have hammer toys all over our classroom here. And the teachers take them out and say, you know, and they show them like, I am mad. Daddy, don't leave. You know, I wanted that toy. Whatever they think it is that has triggered the anger. And some of the children watch it. Some of the children do it. And as the year goes on, more and more of them do it. Or they'll bring the hammer toy to other children who are upset. Oh, Oh, that's sweet. So they're really learning, oh, that's anger and that's okay. Does that feeling of abandonment 
even if you have diffused it or tried to, I mean, does that carry forward? So, I mean, what I'm asking is, is this something that he's going to tell his therapist about when he's 20-something yes. year so old? So start your therapy account oh, now, gosh. your bank account Save for, for college yes. and for therapy. Yes, for therapy. Yeah, because this is the time that the found, their foundation, their emotional foundation, that sense of self is being set is in these years. And if that foundation says, even in my worst moments, even when I was at my worst, my most rotten, my baddest self, mommy and daddy were still there for me, that gives you a lot of confidence. Somebody asked me the other day, so how do you raise a confident child? And I said, help them through the, bad, the hard emotions. And they said, no, no, seriously. I said, seriously, that's it. You, but, but it's a constant. It's Lim not a one-off. No, not it's not a one-off. It's, it's a constant role of you can be upset. I'm going to still set a boundary. You know, maybe you're not going to give in to the cookies or whatever. Um, or maybe you are, and that's also fine, right? Pick your battles really carefully. <laughs> um, but to say that even in those moments, I'm going to still be here for you. And they know that because when they come out of it, you don't shame them. You don't say... So did you really have to get so upset about the fact that we're not having cookies for breakfast? Mm. You say you were really, really upset. So I inadvertently shamed him today. Probably. We all do for our firstborn. I do. <laughs> I mean, I really, I, I think yeah. about it. I mean, because I said to him, do you, do, you know that, do you know my mommy's sad or do you know why that hurt? Right. And my, what my thinking was saying, like, you, we were together. Mm -hmm. You did something mm -hmm. that hurt me. Right. So instead of me pushing you, hitting you back, right. it, responding with violence, I want you to know that there is an emotional reaction. Right. And when he looked at me, doctor, and he said, hair, and right. I thought, yeah. Yeah. Because okay. he doesn't know, he doesn't know why he just did it. He doesn't know is what he just did. Is it like blacking out did. to them? I, you think, know how, I like, think there is some of that, except that they do know that this d didn't feel good. And I'm now I'm worried. All they're thinking about is, all he was thinking about, does mommy still love me? It's their primary question. Wow. And even if you think to yourself, it's oh, so basic. How could he not know? I, I shower him with love. His father showers him with love. Um, that's their basic question. Do you still love me? Because in life, you're going to be good, but you're going to also be bad. And he's going to have a lot of bad thoughts like, I'm not going to eat what you want me to eat. I'm not going to put my shoes on that you just asked me to I'm not going to go to bed when you want I'm me to I'm not going to go to bed when you, right? And he says, uh-oh, do they still love me? So you should always respond with, I love you, but, yeah. or I love you and, yeah. and I love you because. Yeah. Um, I jokingly ask about the therapy, but in your book, you, you mention your relationship, not yours personally, but the reader's relationship with their parents mm -hmm. and how that impacts your parenting. Now, I grew up in a big, boisterous Italian family. Lots of people. Lots of crazy You dynamics. have a lot of siblings? I, I have two living sisters and one deceased brother who happen to have cerebral palsy. So that oh, was a whole different right, dynamic, right. which I think in not only being a parent, but also in being just a sort of a, a lover of life, right. has really influenced me in so many fantastic right. ways because I got to see how someone with a disability fits into a family right. and how the family responds, right. which was so normal for me. But there was, you know, d tension between my parents needing to take care of him and yeah. the other kids in the house. And, and everybody has needs. Everybody has needs, right. Um, and we're a family of yellers. Right. And I always thought that was just normal. the Italian yeah, way. Yeah. But I realized I for a lot not. of people, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. And it was only a friend said to me, I didn't grow up with yellers. Right. And I th said, well, that's weird. 
well, how do you communicate? Right. And the, she said, well, we sit down calmly yeah. and we talk. And I thought, oh, we don't do that. Yeah. My house is Grand Central Station. You come in, you scream, you blah, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. And, but it, it's love. You, yeah. We always knew that it was a loving environment, right. just a loud one. Right. And so when I read that chapter of your book, I also contrast that with my husband, who is. I was going to say, who did you marry? Yeah. So I married a, a, an only child with, with a single mom whose father passed when he was young. And so that's a totally yeah. different dynamic. Yeah. So we are always like, oh my gosh, yeah. what are we going to bring to the yeah. table? But. You're going to bring both of it to the table. And I hope that that's the case. I hope that the best of both of our right. worlds we impart on our son or yeah. children. But it is tough not to repeat the mistakes also, of the past. And we also bring, we bring the best of our upbringings and home life and we bring the worst. But we don't want to. Right. And you have to be very reflective to do that. So one of the pieces of, I think, of being a parent that is very hard, maybe it's impossible to prepare for, is this part where you go, whoa, whoa, I'm doing that thing that I didn't want to. I didn't know that I was going to have to be reflective through this process or I was going to have to think about why am I doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I just thought I was going to do it. Yeah, you just thought, oh, it's natural. I love children. I whatever it is, or I've been in therapy for years, I've taken care of those issues. Whatever the incarnation, I don't think any of us imagine how challenging it's still gonna be to be a parent. It truly is the hardest thing. Challenging on a day-to-day basis, but also to ourselves. Like, who am I? What does this mean for my identity? Whether you had a career or you want a career, whatever it is. Um, And so much of that is what you bring with you. So often I'm asking parents if they're battling with a child. I say, but you know, at the end of the day, this is a two-year-old or this is a three-year-old. They've only been in the world for three years. How could they possibly live in our world, right? right? They're only here, really count the days, not even a thousand days or just over a thousand days. Um, But who does she remind you of or who does he remind you of? And when you really stop to think about it, somebody will say like, oh, those are the battles I had with my mother, or that was like my you know, oldest brother, whatever it is, or I'm so worried that she's gonna be just like my aunt who you know, had these problems. But you have to figure that out and then say, but this is my four-year-old. She has a right to be who she is. Do you think that a lot of these issues are ingrained in us? Do you think that the way that we react to anger, the amount of joy that we express, the way that we uh, conceptualize or work through these rage of emotions, mm-hmm. the good ones and the bad ones, is is that sort of like a predetermined thing, or is it? it, it I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, it is, socialized? is it is it socialized? Is, is it, it nature malleable? or nurture? You're hoping and praying that it's malleable. <laughs> yeah. It's both. It's both. Almost what the day, what the, what the ongoing studies of development show in just about any area. You know, you, there's a lot of different data sets you could look at or areas of research that you could look at. Um, show very consistently about development. And here's the good news, is that it's nature and nurture. And everybody listening is going to know this, whether you birthed the baby, whether you're the parent who helped bring that baby into the world, whether you adopted a baby, is that babies come into the world with a lot. They, they enter the world a certain way. You know, they might be very reactive at birth. They might be very sleepy. Newborn. I didn't get the sleepy one. No, you know, it it just varies. But temperament, we know, has an inborn piece and then it's moldable. And if it wasn't, we'd all be in trouble. Right. Right? Um, 
so it's moldable in a couple of ways. One is just with development, right? As development goes on, people change naturally, but also you're watering your child with that relationship that you have with your child. And if there's some data that is absolutely known for sure, it's that it's those early relationships with those primary people, usually, um, you know, usually parents, but again, could be grandparents, could be some other people. Um, but with the parents that molds who a child becomes, that's where you get your sense of the world. Will I be taken care of? Will I be loved? You get mirrored, right? When when the baby smiles, the parent smiles. When the baby, you know, gets solemn face, the parent comes down with them. All of that we call mirroring emotions is so important for who the child becomes. Like, oh, somebody's there with me, literally going up with me, coming down, calming me when I need it. And toddlers need that more than anything. Somebody who goes up, but also helps bring them down. That all molds them, whether they show it in big ways or little ways, makes it more challenging or less, but it doesn't mean that their brains aren't figuring out and their whole little human being um, figuring out how do I deal with these emotions and will people take care of me no matter what? And that's really the challenge of toddlers. Will you be there for me no matter what? If I throw the food, will you still love me at the end of the day? And the answer is I think yes. of the song, will you still love me tomorrow? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going through yeah. my head. Yeah, and I, and I noticed that. And I also, I mean, I always think of what Toni Morrison said. She, she said that watch when a child enters a room, do, you know, you as the parent or the caregiver, are you worried about their shoes being untied mm -hmm. or is their jacket mm -hmm. closed? What they're looking for is the joy on your face yeah. because you've seen them. Yeah. And I never thought about that until I heard heard that That's quote nice, is, since nice her passing point. and I thought to myself how do I respond yeah. when my kid walks in the room do am I happy uh, maybe I have a hundred things going on or maybe I'm stressed or sad or going through my yeah. own emotions but am I projecting yeah and I do notice that the times where I consciously make a choice to smile and react mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. be in a joy-filled moment yeah he responds yes you know the most important thing that every child needs and it's so basic is to know that someone's there for them. An important someone's there for them, not just any random person. Right. But that important someone is there for them. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that you need to play with them and do cartwheels to make them happy. They know how to be happy. But they want to know that they're listened to, that they're really heard, that you're listening and you hear them, that they're understood, even though they're complex people, someone's trying to understand them, and that you appreciate them. Right, you share their joys. You do notice when things are a little off kilter and maybe you come closer or you give them more space and that you're genuine. What children read more than anything is tone. They're the most fantastic read of people. And when my They're son very... likes somebody, I'm like, you're a good person. Yeah. If he stays away, I'm like, man, nah, maybe I will too. <laughs> He's yeah, got they, your number. And they read that in us. You know, so if, you, if you're gritting your teeth because you're having a hard time ongoing, like we all have bad days, that's forgiven, right? Children are very forgiving that way. In a loving relationship, they're very forgiving. But if you're the kind of person who's gritting your teeth all the time and pretending that you're happy with your child or what they've done, they pick up on that. Like, yeah. wait a minute, mommy's upset, daddy doesn't like this, why aren't they saying that they don't like this? Like they definitely read tone, affect, they wanna be connected. And they want to be genuinely connected. And all of that molds and um, 
sort of smooths the edges of temperament, right? So, you know, a related thing is that parents will, will say, um, you know, I don't want to hurt her spirit. I love her free spirit. I don't want to, I don't want to tamper that. Yeah, I don't want to tamper that. I don't want to take it away. So then there's no limits. And then what happens is the children start to get angrier and angrier. Why? Because they're actually looking for us to give them boundaries and limits. They're looking for us to say, I know you want to cross the street by yourself, but it's just not safe. And you can cry all the way across the street, but I'm going to hold your hand. So then, so then that could obviously lead to a, a, another breakdown of some kind. Um, you know, w one of the other things that I think a lot I'm dealing with, and I know a lot of moms that have kids my age are dealing with, are is the break in routine. Mm -hmm. And so... It's tough. It's, it is tough. And we've tried to set a pretty clear routine Good. throughout the day. Nothing is more important than that. It's, Love and routines. It started with sleep. Uh -huh. you know, we hired a sleep consultant because he was not sleeping well, and which I think is a very Manhattan thing to do. Mm -hmm. But we did it, and it worked. And Good. she said bedtime routine, you know, bath, book, bottle bed, right. whatever it is, whatever your right. configuration is, uh, you have to do it. And so we find bedtime to be easy right now. It could change, but right now right. it's really smooth. I've tried to do the same thing in the keep morning. Keep that routine. That's my hope, is to keep it consistent. Mm -hmm. To the point now where sh the sleep consultant said to us, make sure that you sing a song to him every night, even mm -hmm. if it's a verse. It's same song. Mm -hmm. So now we've been doing it for the better part right. of 15 months or so. He now sings it back to us. Oh, which so is sweet. really amazing and sort of weird right? that we have a kid that's old enough that can sing back yeah. and could respond. Yeah. But bedtime for us is not our issue. And what thinking. a nice moment of connection for the two of you or the three of you. I actually heard it for the first time on our Nest camera. But that ease that comes at night doesn't come in the morning. You know why it doesn't come in the morning? You still need routines in the morning. The reason it doesn't come in the morning, and I can assure you that for people listening, this is the hardest thing for many, many, many families at some point, myself included when my children were young, is it separation. So that's my question. Morning is separation. And leaving home is separation, right? So even on the weekends, if you're a family that doesn't work on the weekends, so my husband and I, in general, didn't work on the weekends, and we would tell our children, no work, no school, because that's the break of the routine. We were like, oh, weekend, great. The children are like, wait, I get up and go to school. What's going on? So we would say, no work, no school, and they would be very happy. But it's sometimes hard to get them out the door to say go to the playground or the or yeah. you know the grocery store or whatever That's you want to do. That's our struggle. It's the front door, because home is your place of security. If it's a loving place, right? Home is your place of security. It's the place you know the best. It represents mommy and daddy. It represents me as the toddlers becoming their own person. It's the place they know best. It's where they want to return to. So leaving it is hard, and then each step they take on a you know, workday morning, or if they go to preschool or daycare or, or mommy or daddy or both parents leave, um, each step they take forward is closer to goodbye. Um. And so from the minute they wake up, it's about separation. Even if, you know, some children are fine through getting dressed, some children are fine through break. You know, so for some children, the hot point is getting dressed. For some, it's eating breakfast. For some, it's brushing their teeth. It doesn't matter which piece it or is. Or is it getting in the stroller? Getting in the stroller. I mean, the back, final, we do the back like, bend now. Yeah. Kicking, flailing, back bend. Get that really wonderful book, Knuffle Bunny. Knuffle Bunny? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because... Ordering it now? <laughs> he goes boneless, which is such a great, <laughs> yeah. great term for... Um, but he's but so it happy is, outside. He loves being outside. But toddlers live in this very moment. They don't have any sense of what's next. 
So you prepare them for it by saying, we're going to put your socks on and then we're going to put your shoes on. That's the next. And then we're going to put your jacket on and then we're going to go outside. But what is he thinking about? Oh, I just saw a little crumb on the floor yep. and that's the crumb from breakfast. And now I'm thinking about breakfast and now, you know, he's off on another He's on the plane. Because yeah. he just, on the way to the stroller, when you thought everything was fine, he saw a tiny little thing on the floor. And now he's on that path. He's not thinking about what's next. So you move him forward because you know that once you get outside, he's going to be okay. We're golden. So you either come up with games or you just pick him up and say, this is really hard. I'm going to make this fast. And then once you're in the elevator, you're fine. Or, um, but that's moving him forward. But they don't know what's next. It's why transitions are so hard for toddlers, particularly two-year-olds, but even three, four elementary school teachers will tell you they need routines. Because getting from, let's say in preschool, um, from playtime to lunch, you know, from the playground back inside, all of those transitions are hard. One is because they're involved in what they're doing and switching or flexibility comes much later. So you can do one of two things. You can tough it out. Right. I could just pick him up and cross a threshold and get in the elevator and say, we're doing this. Yeah. We are leaving. I booked the yeah. $35 class. We're going. Or I can find, I mean, or I can find a way to. Yeah. I mean, you're always best to off to have some routine that's your goodbye routine for the house. So like, you know, some people hang a little bag on the door and they say, oh, pick something to put in it. You know, like for the children who need to carry something from home outside, you know, a little animal, uh, car something and it's small. there when you get back no they take it with them oh they take like it with i have them. children come to my center all the time with the most random things it's really funny i say what's in your bag today <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, like, i've had toothbrushes i've had bottle openers i've you know just random you know little animals a book it can be anything but it says i'm bringing home with me okay it's helping me through the transition uh, for some children, that's a lovey if you let your loveys go outside. My children had to keep theirs at home. I was oh, petrified of losing that. them. Yeah. 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 But for some children, that's their transition. I'm bringing home with me, and it allows them past that threshold. The threshold is a big deal um, because they don't know. They know what they're doing right now, but they don't have that sense of time. So you can have a routine. You could always should try to calm your child by saying, like, this might feel hard. We're going to go to the playground. We're going to go in the elevator like we always do every single day. And then we're going to be at the playground. I'm going to help you. And sometimes you just, at that point, have to pick them up and say, I'm going to help you. It's not punitive, but it says, I'm going to get you over the threshold. The and then we'll calm down. Yeah. Down and then you get outside and they, they're like, oh, you say, well, you were worried. Here we are. We're at the playground. Should you reference the episode? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the you whatever. can always say to them, you were upset. But now you're okay. We're going I didn't to know if it was, and I don't mean to compare a kid to a dog, but I didn't know yeah. if it was like a dog where you don't reprimand the dog, not reprimand, but you don't, you don't um, point out what the dog has done uh -huh. outside of like 15 or 20 seconds, they say, because as they can't long remember. as you're not doing it punitively and you're not punishing them, they remember that they were upset. And what they want to know is, are you okay with this? Okay. That's always their question. You mentioned the lovey and you also mentioned separation, which is another thing that we've been dealing with. Um, Matthew has a wubba nub you know, those things that have the stuffed animal attached to mm -hmm. the binky, that he ripped the, the pacifier, he bit the pacifier off mm -hmm. of the stuffed animal. Right. All the parts are in the crib. It's not a choking hazard. Right. Anything. They're all there. But he gets up, and we're going, we were, it was about two weeks span of getting up in the middle of the night screaming, G-G-G-G-G. Because he couldn't G -G. find it. 
Gigi, Gigi, Gigi. And I'm like, Gigi's right there. So we would get up. No, Gigi's right there, mm -hmm. honey. Here she is. And mm -hmm. so it was, my husband's I have to buy another one. I said, but you want to get rid of the pacifier? Uh -huh. And he said, he's go. So then we would be out and walking around. We'd be at class. He never once asked for the pacifier in all of his right. months alive until this happened. And now he screams for it. He gets upset. If This was after he broke it off? He broke it. We got him another one because we were like, we'll buy But he won't take the other one? He'll take it. But for some reason, there has been a separation that has formed. There's an anxiety there. Mm -hmm. um, if he is upset, he will ask for it. Mm -hmm. If he if he bites us and we say, Matthew, no, you don't bite. The phrase we use is our teeth are not for biting. Our teeth are not for His biting. His teeth are. Right. <laughs> our teeth are for chewing. Our teeth I would give him something to bite, but that gets back to that impulse thing. He'll say, G, 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 G. Um, you know, with temper tantrum on the way out the door. G, G. No, Gigi, Gigi's sleeping. Gigi's right. taking a nap. So we're constantly reinforcing that. But my husband and I thought, what did we do? We, he, this kid broke this s s stuffed animal. And our world has been shattered because he has seemingly developed this inexplainable crutch. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you um, said that because I would wonder if he got really scared by breaking that. But how do you reverse it? Because he won't take the new one. He'll take the new one for sleep. Mm -hmm. But he's now you say asking to him, for it in times where yeah, but, it's no idea, where it has, it's not for sleep. It's we're yeah, out Yeah, but and it's about. when he's distressed. Yeah. It's when he's distressed. And now we're noticing it. If, if he thinks that mommy is upset, if he thinks that daddy's upset, G, 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 G. You say, you know what? We love you even if we're upset or whatever your word is. Yes. You know, so we, we say still no love... G, 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 G for sleep. That's what we say. Yeah, but I would address the emotion there. Okay. You can be upset. We're going to still love you. So you think it scared him that he broke it? Yeah. Wow. Because it's a lot of how, when, when children, when toddlers break something, it's very frightening to them. It's like, uh-oh, if I have the power to break that, could I also wish you away when I'm so angry at you? Because when they're angry, they're really angry. And when they have the word, parents can't stand the word hate, I understand that. But I always say it's not capital H. Mm -hmm. Little H, but it's big emotion. Yeah. You know we're not going outside right now because it's bedtime. They hate us. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. But three seconds later when you're cuddling them, they love us. Yeah. Because they're separate things for them at this age. Right? You love your child all the time, even when they're driving you crazy. For them, it's like love, hate, love, hate, love, hate, right? But it's love. But in that moment of that intense emotion, it's very scary to them. So when they break something, it says, oh my gosh, what else do I have the power to do? What else can I destroy? What else can I destroy? And the scariest thing is, could I really push mommy or daddy away? That's terrifying to them. Yeah, That's why you it. can't leave the room when they're upset. Even in, in, if you need to compose yourself, you turn yourself around, you say, I'm the adult, he's just a little boy. That's exhale, one of your mantras. And you turn back and you go, okay, now I'm going to get So in our situation, another parent might have it with a lovey or a stuffed animal or something else. So he's constantly asking for this one thing. Address the emotion. We know yeah, you, you are upset. It is yeah, okay that you're upset. You're, and you're okay. Do you give okay. him, we have a replacement. Do you give him the replacement pacifier? Is that reinforcing? In that moment? Or any moment. I don't moment. think you need to because... What he's telling you is, I'm upset and I'm trying to find a way to calm down. And you can say to him, you're upset or you're angry, you know, you're worried, whatever words you want to put to it, but you're okay, I'm going to take care of you. He wants a way to, to bring those feelings down because they don't feel good. Yeah. They really don't feel good. 
And so if you say to him, you're okay, mommy's going to take care of you, that's the replacement. Understood. Yeah, it's real. It's so confusing because they're so confused at this age. We'll end this by saying those people who are with me in the almost two-year-old stage mm -hmm. are wondering, when does it end? <laughs> will it end? And will we come out the other side? I mean, will I have raised a, a potential serial killer or do I have the most calm, adjusted yeah mild-mannered child that could ever I don't think there. you would wish for that right. uh, most so, of us would not we want this is I think in that so the, the short answer is yes there it will be turbulent these are turbulent years for a reason it gets easier over time if you're reflective you have a sense of humor and, and they you, pick up on that I see yes and you don't personalize things if you can keep things light respectful and have a sense of humor it definitely gets easier in time because children slowly become more capable to be independent and um, they become more reasonable and rational slowly. So you're just entering at 20 months and certainly for the two-year-olds have just put their foot on the path that's a long path to independence. But when we have children, I think we don't realize, oh, this is a long path. Yeah. And my role as a parent is to be there for them in the highs and the lows of that path. And you've just entered, you've just started it, which is why it's so turbulent now. But it starts to smooth out. And language helps. It doesn't mean they're little adults by any means. Um, but also, they, they're growing. Their brain development's on your side. It's going forward even when there's all these backslides. And so they keep getting a little bit better and a little bit more reasonable. But you have to be reasonable as the adult so they have that model. Oh, even when I'm really crazy, you know, requesting the, the sandwich cut on a diagonal and mommy cuts it in squares and I melt down, she's not a lunatic about it. She says, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize you needed triangles. That's reasonable. And in time, they become reasonable, but it takes a long time. The fact that you have done this three times yeah. with three kids and the fact that you choose to spend your day surrounded <laughs> by children should give all of us hope. It's easier to be with other people's children than your own, for sure. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> From the toddler whisperer to all of our listeners, I just hope that they have gleaned some pearls of wisdom. I know I have. I um, so. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate thank you. This is All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. This episode was recorded, edited, mixed, made awesome by Matt Onimus. The executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Imad Ashgar. Byron Harmon is VP of News, and our Vice President and General Manager of Fox 5 is Lou Leone. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you just want to say hi, reach out to me on Twitter at Fox5Teresa or on Facebook, Teresa Priolo NY. And stay tuned for our next episode. Ha 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 ha!